Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Media podcast. I hope you're all doing okay out there. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor at Provoke, and I'm joined today by two leaders from strategic comms consultancy Foretold, Omar Mockbill and Tatu Limatainen. Omar, Tatu, welcome. Thank you, Maya. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much, Maya. Nice to be here. Um, I'm, it's lovely that you're both in the in the same room, actually. So this is this is going to be a really nice discussion. So just to give listeners a bit of background on my two guests today. First, Omar is a Swedish national who joined Foretold in February this year as MD of its growing EU advocacy communications business in Brussels. He was previously at Hill and Knowlton in Brussels and has worked with corporate, NGO and association clients across a huge range of areas from AI and digitization, diversity and inclusion, the circular economy and sustainability, and has also worked with EU institutions in supporting their communications. Um, my other guest, Tatu, is a Finnish national and EU public affairs director of Foretold, leading its public affairs practice. He's recently joined the private sector from the Finnish government, where he coordinated climate policy work in Brussels. He's also worked for several years in EU institutions including the European Commission Vice President's Cabinet, the European Parliament's Vice President's Team, and a lobbying association. So we've got some very solid public affairs credentials from both of you today. Welcome. Um, Foretold itself, set up in 2013 by two former FTI execs, Debbie Paris and Matthew Ellis, based out of Oxford and Brussels, and it helps corporates engage with all kinds of EU institutional decision makers and stakeholders. So chaps, how are you doing? How is business at Foretold? It's going very well, thank you. Um, we've had our summer break, which feels like quite a while ago now, and then this sort of September through till Christmas period is usually quite a busy one. So uh, yeah, all hands on deck and uh, raring to go, a lot happening in Brussels. Fantastic. Exactly. COVID has been an exceptional time, but for us, the, the time has been good. Everything going good. I'm really pleased to hear it. And now I want to, I want to focus on, on climate today with both of you because it's a big area of specialism for for you guys and the consultancy as a whole um everyone's the minds of many are focused on what cop 26 the big summit will hold next month um and what that might mean for businesses and organizations uh, and governments around the world going forward um just to give us some background on all of this omar can you start but with the big regulatory and policy milestones around climate and environment and sustainability that have led up to this point, because this is not, you know, it's very much headline news now, but we, this has been a long time coming and arguably, you know, uh, this, is, this is not obviously not the end of the story, but how have we got to this point? If I jump in here, um, actually, if we look, if we take a bit, a um, couple of steps back and we think like how, sustainability, environmental topics, they have been in the discussion. So they may be relatively new to the boardroom discussions, but if we think of how they've been growing in the public consciousness, uh, they've been there for a little while. So if we look in, uh, look back, for example, to the 80s, here in Europe, we had the acid rain issues, then followed by the, the ozone layer discussions in the 90s. So from those discussions, the same logic applies now to the climate discussion. So where we first had 
scientific discussion that brought it to our attention, then backed up by civil society concerns and which then led to political action. So now what we're dealing with is no longer regional or national, uh, what came to the ozone and maybe acid rain issues, but now we have a global climate crisis in our hands. Mm. And uh, if we look at the accomplishments that we have had, we can always pinpoint to the Rio in 92 and Kyoto 97. So one could actually say that uh, the climate has been there for quite some time, although it has not been possibly in the in the boardroom discussions. So why is it now in the boardroom discussions? I, th I think that um, essentially things have changed quite a bit. I mean, obviously, as Tatu noted there, you know, it's been in the public and political um, circles for, for some time, but obviously proportionally speaking, let's say that the private sector has probably been a bit absent until more recent times, if I put it that way. You know, I mean, we've, we've had CSR around since uh, the 50s, I believe, but I mean, sustainability only really crept up into the into the uh, discussions in the 2000s. I mean, I, um, I, you know, back in the day when I was studying in the early 2000s, we were talking about CSR and we were talking about organizations starting to include environmental uh, activities and reporting in their annual reports. Um, some of them not doing that at that stage. And that's kind of become normalized. And, and obviously more recently we've had organizations taking up the baton of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, and and, and using those as pillars for sort of showcasing how they've been developing and moving forward. So I think there's there, there has been some momentum for some time, but I, I think probably what's 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 changed is that a few different things. There's that the society has obviously evolved in in quite profound ways. You know, we're, we're not looking at sustainable policies as just a nice to have in a business. I think businesses are today really increasingly joining the dots between uh, the climate crisis and their bottom line. I think um, you know every company out there um, is is seeing how they're vulnerable to climate and uh, climate change, uh, and private sector doesn't have that sort of blind spot that it might think that it had previously. I mean, organizations are seeing disruptions in their outputs, higher operational maintenance costs, scarcer natural resources. Um, I mean, that that's becoming quite quite normal now. So uh, I think that change has, has happened uh, pretty rapidly. And if you, you look at it from the perspective, I mean, you're seeing um, obviously the conversations that are happening at the World Economic Forum, the private sector there uh, uh, coming forward with leaders talking about a great reset. Um, you know, there's discussions going on about stakeholder capitalism. Uh, th these conversations have changed quite a bit. Um, I mean, from a, from a regulatory perspective, if you want to look at it from that, from that viewpoint, uh, there's also been obviously an increased uh, momentum behind increasing transparent disclosures um, from corporates um, and investors, for example, in ESG, if you look at that for an example. Mm. So, you know, the European Commission has been pursuing multiple initiatives um, uh, in this area. So, for example, the EU taxonomy. So that's a, a classification system providing definitions on environmentally sustainable economic activity. You've got the renewable sustainable finance strategy. So that's setting out a roadmap for action on international sustainable finance initiatives. So, I mean, there, there's a lot happening there, but I mean, um, the EU, EU isn't just going alone on this. Um, you've got the US, in the US, for example, you've got the Securities and Exchange Commission looking at recommending mandatory company disclosures on climate risk and human capital, but they're also analyzing the different criteria used to define ESG funds. So we're starting to get into these conversations about, um, about definitions here. So it's getting really interesting. And of course, 
for you guys over in the UK, you've got your financial uh, conduct authorities roadmap, uh, which is seeking to extend mandatory disclosures of climate related risks and opportunities. So, so quite a lot happening. And if you look at all these measures together, they're rep they, they, they really do represent a significant recalibration of financial system, the business system towards even more and greater disclosure and transparency um, on ESG issues. All of which can can only be a good thing. Are you hopeful that the now the conversation is has been reframed that that things are moving will move forward rapidly now we've kind of you know that the ears of the private sector ha, has been pricked up? I think there has been a noticeable shift actually how the business world has positioned themselves when it comes to climate change. If we think that it's not that long ago when the climate change it seemed to be a bit of an issue that only a few wanted to have a strong position on. It kind of felt like everybody was aware of the discussions, mm -hmm. but they kind of at the same time hoped that they specifically would not be connected with climate change. But I think now things are absolutely different. So a growing number of companies all the time, they're measuring all their environmental footprints, life cycle emissions, and other environmental impacts. And actually what they're doing is that they're seeking how to get competitive edge on the sustainability front. So I think businesses, they have clearly read the signs of global megatrends. For the decades to come, we're going to have environmental and climate legislation out there that is going to affect them. And if we look at all major markets, for example, the EU, US, Japan, China, they have made climate commitments to decarbonize their societies in the coming decades. So if this transition is going to happen, it's simply going to be an enormous market for these types of solutions. So I think many, many are reading the signs and I see a clear shift in there. And what do you think the outcome will be of COP26? How's that going to move the conversation forward to the next phase? Will it make a difference? I think there's a, going to be a lot coming out of it, I think, there, in, in some respects. But then on the other hand, I think it's been quite clear for some time in terms of what organizations have been committing to at the moment. So. Um, this is just another milestone in, in, in the ever-evolving um, sustainability conversation. As you noted earlier, this has been going for some time and will continue to do so. I think the, the changes now is that it's starting to become much more embedded uh, and it's becoming much more standardized and, and regulations and all the activities of organizations are, are being built on in that sense. I think hats off to the UK who is pulling this because this is not an easy time to pull through global climate negotiations that are already inherently very difficult and complex. Mm -hmm. So had to cancel last year. The environment for discussions is not what it used to be. So I think that has to be put into a context as well. And if just about the COPs briefly, I think the Paris Agreement COP, into, uh, the COP21 actually, it kind of set the bar in many people's minds for these COP meetings. And it's been a measuring stick that there is something great always coming out from them. But actually we have had these 24 other COPs as well. So I think it's not always fair to compare to this COP21 that then gave birth to the Paris Agreement. Mm. But at the moment, I see these are exactly little different. So you cannot compare the two. Here, I don't think we will get a super big uh, announcement or, or an agreement like in Paris 
but actually this is following from Paris and we're looking like how can everyone do more and how can they increase their ambition? So I think there we're, we hopefully will see developments and new commitments from, uh, from countries around the world. And what will all this mean, you know, dialing this back to our world, what will, the, will this mean for public affairs and corporate communications consultants and, and how you're advising your clients across the private and public sectors? I think it's a, it's a very important, um, a very important point because um, I mean we've talked about how this has been an evolving space, but it's important to note that even compared to just even a few years ago, it is a very very full and very very noisy space. Mm. Um, you know, everyone and their grandmother is talking about sustainability. So 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 there's a lot to be considered there um, compared to just even a few years ago. So um, a couple of factors I think that organizations need to need to bear in mind is that. Anybody who's using the S word today is going to be um, is going to be put under a lot of scrutiny. So oh. you, if you couple that with the growing appetite from a from a legislative perspective, um, um, companies, you know, there is an appetite for companies to be to be to change to be changed through regulatory and legislative reforms. So you know, if from a messaging perspective, from a corporate positioning perspective, it's more important than ever before. Um, but what does that actually mean today? It means that you can't just come back with those same old messages. Um, you have to stand out today and really use um, proof points and have and provide evidence as well as an intention. So, I mean, you know, if I, if I, if I, you know, I think one, one point to probably note here as well, and it's important to, to address, I think, is, 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 uh, is credibility. Um, I think uh, you need to have that legitimate contribution to society today. It's not, uh, you know, using uh, nice big words um, in the ways that we, we, we did previously doesn't, doesn't work. Um, there's, there's an issue here to address in terms of greenwashing. And I think mm -hmm. that's important to address here as well. Um, I like the um, definition of the French Agency for Ecological Transition, who, who in their anti-greenwashing guide noted as the use of ecological, the ecological argument when the benefit of the product or the service to the environment is minimal, even non-existent. In short, a message that could mislead the consumer about the real ecological quality of the product or about the reality of the fair trade approach. I think uh, that sort of skepticism and critical thinking um, uh, on these issues is, is, is happening quite a bit. So I think from an organization's perspective, it can seem very overwhelming in terms of how to adapt, because frankly speaking, companies' lives are more complicated as, um, than they've ever been before, where an organization is on one hand being asked to promote its actions to preserve the environment, but in the other, on the other side, it's obviously exposing itself to criticism. Yeah. It's so, an interesting communications conundrum, isn't it? It's like balancing those two things. Yeah, it's indeed. But if we think that what we get out from COP26, the direction is clear. Everybody is expecting to get more ambition. Mm. So if we get more ambition, that also means, hopefully, more action than in practice. And in, in a very pragmatic terms, then all the actors, they have to see that how do we meet this new ambition? Now we think of the EU, for example, the Fit for 55 package already setting the scene how the EU is going to progress uh, on this. But I think exactly that's important, what Omar touched upon, is that how individual companies, how they can make themselves heard also in this regulatory discussion, that how can they have meaningful discussions uh, with the, the policymakers wherever they are? So if I could give a couple of concrete uh, advice, I think one is that you just have to be present. 
where the discussions are being taking place. Me, when I came to Brussels the first time, it opened the door to a completely new world. And I realized that people are deciding things in Brussels that I never had heard about. And that was an eye opener for me. And the benefit, of course, if you are present on the ground, then you can actually provide solutions to these problems. So it can be, it can sound obvious, but uh, having worked in the Commission and also in the European Parliament, for example, I don't think there's anything much nicer for, for a politician or a civil servant than actually a visitor who can help them solve these issues. And climate change is a big issue. So this doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to agree on, on everything, but if you can provide concrete solutions to the issues at hand, they always have a better chance to move forward. Yeah. And I think just to build on that a little bit from, um, so that's from the public affairs perspective, if you look at the sort of communication side and, and, and preparing yourself, um, I think there's a couple um, sort of uh, rules of thumb in a way um, that, that organizations need to think about, especially today. Uh, I think, you know, publicly acknowledging the complexities of sustainability is really important. I think, um, you know, we're all finding our way through this. This is something, this is something new that, and nobody's perfect at the moment. There's going to be some trial and error. So I think uh, transparency and credibility is really key. Um, I think we have to understand indeed that these, these can be seen as very real, sometimes scary conversations for people to have. Um, people can feel overwhelmed by climate change. And so I think a, a real understanding and empathy on the sustainability issues uh, and the, the real world experiences of, of people around these issues. Um, I think uh, another thing which um, comes up around these COP meetings is obviously uh, you have these 10 year plans or plans to 2030 and 40 and 50, which is admirable. But I think um, where we're standing today, there is an expectation uh, of people uh, around you to say, what are you doing now to improve your mm -hmm. sustainability credentials? Um, you know, an organization perhaps might be getting its house in order as it is at the moment. And obviously you don't want that to make headline news, but I think if an organization wants to um, put sustainability at the core part of their communications, they really clearly need to define and understand what is their greatest contribution um, to legitimately contribute to society and the environment around us. Um, and I think um, another uh, last piece of advice maybe I'd, I'd give for organizations at this stage is sort of, you know, um, people are looking for radical action. They're not looking for incrementalism. So um, I think it's important to bear that in mind. So the, how do you bridge the gap, though, between policy and people? Because it's a, even more of a challenge these days, isn't it, to effectively connect science, policy, facts, these high-level discussions at a global governmental and corporate level with consumers, as you say, who can get very overwhelmed by conversations about climate change. Um, and, you know, that you've got all the emotion that we as human beings have at the, at the uh, you know, at, at that end of the spectrum. What kind of messaging is, is most effective to kind of bridge that gap and inspire hope, inspire behavioural change or action at the citizen level? I think hope is indeed very important uh, in today's discussion because otherwise the outlook can look very grim. Mm. People, they can maybe feel a bit powerless, uh, but I would say as a comforting uh, thought that if we are indeed to become climate neutral by 2050, 2060, whenever, actually action will be needed on all levels and from everybody. So this includes countries, regions, corporates and individuals. And uh, 
they might feel people might feel a little a little powerless when they are looking at these high level discussions and that's absolutely understandable but there's a reason why some of these discussions are being held on a high level because that is the way to resolve global challenges like climate change so we do need uh, also the high level discussion i think i would also like to bring the perspective for the problem at hand here so it's good to remember that globally actually around three quarters of the global emissions they originate from the energy sector so the energy sector is at the center of this issue and of course it means that the biggest solutions they will have to also be found in the energy sector mm. so and not all of us at least not me so i'm not an owner of a big energy facility or a company but that doesn't mean that i cannot do my piece in my daily life and we can think for example how do we travel how do we heat our homes what do we eat and how do we consume in general mm. and i think that people they are looking into these kind of things and this information more and more thoroughly all the time and just to add on that i think at the moment people are having more information available than ever before taking into account of course global differences but never has there been a time when such a detailed discussion on climate change was possible and maybe just to add to that i think as well um and maybe wearing my swedish hat here to some extent here um you know you're having climate advocates like greta thunberg who perhaps at some point in time would have been considered outliers in society are now mainstream and growing in voice so the voice of the individual and the power of the individual is greater than it has been before i think and 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 it's not to be underestimated the power of the individual in that respect and all those points that uh, tattoo mentioned there and i think that's yeah interesting do you think um asking you both something uh, maybe a slightly controversial question you guys know your stuff do you think that communications and pr consultancy world outside public affairs and policy specialists really understands at a deep enough level to advise clients uh, around issues the policy landscape around the climate crisis because you know that, that there's a danger there that just a, a maybe a lack of deep understanding or knowledge is um would spur uh, campaigns in the direction of something that might look like greenwashing if you didn't really kind of get to the, the nub of the issues. How, how good are we getting at this as communicators? It's a, it's a really good point. And I think communication is key there. You've, you've hit it on the head there. Um, it's essentially just communicating and making sure you're not in your own little siloed bubble where you're having your insular conversations about how great you are as an organization internally <laughs> and speaking outwards and not listening. So it's about getting in there and listening. And I think coming back to Tatu's point there earlier, um, you need to be present on the ground. It's in your benefit as an organization to firstly be present so that you you're aware of the conversations that are happening you you have a little bit of a benchmark a little bit of mirror to yourself i mean I, um we we find it very interesting as a consultancy very often where an organization oftentimes is looking to us to have an understanding of a kind of benchmark of how do they stand compared to what other people are saying and so we we, we try to put up that mirror and that lens to critically analyze and say hey you know you're at this stage of your journey and and you should be coming here but i think being present helps quite a lot in those engagements, in those conversations, uh, and, and just not insulating yourself. Exactly. And of course, background in the topics helps as well. But I can also say that this is a, an area that is developing all the time. So it is 
an enormous field which is not that easy to master so if we think for example science around climate change it's developing all the time so i feel a bit that you can do uh, that much with the information that you have at hand but of course when you're providing that information then credibility and transparency are really really the key issues yeah so that collaborative mindset is really really key yeah i mean this is the this is the thing for me uh, uh, as an outsider to all of this feels like it's going is 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 leading to something of a real tipping point in everybody's action and understanding is the fact that it's, it's not just at the policy level at, at national or, or even global level it's not just uh, that there is now corporate impetus for change and it's not just NGOs kind of banging on on uh, that we've got to sort the um, sort stuff out as far as the climate and the environment concerned it's all three working together for the first time isn't it which does feel like things might actually make a difference which I, I think you know circles back to that whole thing that we we can be hopeful that there is now momentum um, to move forward for for good on on all those fronts without anyone blocking anything so yeah, it's a really interesting time to be observing this, isn't it? Where the, where the overwhelming feeling has been for some time that they're, you know, we're calling it the climate crisis now. We're being honest that we're we're at we're at a, a, a really important juncture. But you know, the fact is there are there is so much going on in the background that maybe consumers aren't hearing enough about. Indeed, we can paint a grim picture. But at the same time, if being hopeful, there has been development at the same time. So, for example, if we think of the Paris Agreement, it covers 70% of the global emissions. Now, that's, of course, not 100%. So we cannot be happy that we're there already. But one could say that the level of commitment, at least, it's, it's going to the right direction. Mm. But now we need to really look how we do the transition in practice. So the numbers they are just not going to be enough anymore. But indeed, as you said, I would not be losing faith at, the, at this point yet, because there is more discussion on climate change than ever before. And if we look at what is happening globally, like I mentioned earlier, several major economies like the EU, US, Japan, South Korea, they have committed becoming climate neutral by 2050 and China by 2060. So we can see where this development is, is heading. So I would not be losing faith at the moment. Okay. Omar, any closing thoughts on that climate discussion? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a natural optimist, but I, I do feel that um, all the indicators in terms of the actions that are happening um, supports my optimism in this regard as well. I think, as, as Tatu said there, the, the winds of change are there and people have read what's on the wall. Um, you know, um, I, I grew up in the, uh, in the Emirates. Um, it's, an traditional, uh, it's an economy that's traditionally dependent on fossil fuel revenues. Uh, and, and then they've seen uh, what's coming. They've pledged to fully decarbonize the economy uh, by 2050, and they're doing their investments and challenges there. The EU, the US, China, I mean, people are pulling uh, down the same direction and, and there will be bumps along the way. There certainly will. Um, but the trend is really there compared to even just a few years ago. It's, it's incredible how fast this conversation has become a core part of, of what's, what's spoken about in the corridors of Brussels. That's, uh, that is indeed extremely hopeful. I just wanted to ask you both um, bef before we go, 
Um, it, it, I just want to see what Brexit looks like in Brussels at the moment, because in the UK, uh, it's we, we feel like we're very much at the sharp end and the, the fallout has been messy and disastrous to the surprise of absolutely no one who, who voted to remain. How is it looking from the Brussels point of view? Is, is Brexit even a thing for you guys anymore? It's, it's, it's an interesting topic. I mean, um, I think uh, in, in, on the island and, and, uh, and across the pond here, across, across the way here, sorry, in, on the continent, I think we're all quite bogged down with a lot of information on that. And I think there, there came a point probably where, where there was a little bit of uh, tiredness on the topic here. So in, the, in terms of the discussions on Brexit, that's probably gone down the hierarchy of list of discussion points in Brussels. Having said that, though, when it comes to sustainability um, and it comes to these areas, you know, there's a lot of cooperation still happening. Uh, I mean, obviously, the UK is hosting COP this year um, and, and there are other activities uh, taking place. But um, but no, it, uh, organizations in the UK, at least, I can say, um, who, who were more present in, in Brussels are more present than they have been before. You're seeing a lot of uh, British organizations or British-based organizations present in the UK in Brussels and uh, and having discussions and, and engaging uh, in, in probably more than they were previously to some extent. I would agree. I think all the actors in the UK now have to activate in a bit of a different way in Brussels and this can be seen here. But what comes to actual Brexit discussions, they, there was a time when the debate and visibility was more more heated but I think now it has gone a bit to the uh, I wouldn't say to the back burner but uh, it's not that topical at the moment what comes to to EU policy uh, landscape. Okay well thank you very much for that perspective that's really that's really useful actually and and also quite you know really positive that those discussions are, are still taking place regardless of of what's gone on. Um, uh, guys, thank you so much for your time and knowledge and expertise today. It's been really great to listen to such a, um, you know, to your knowledge and your, your hopefulness and optimism about what the conversation um, around climate and sustainability. So thank you both very much. Thank you as well. And I, I hope it was useful for the, uh, for the listeners as well. Thanks a lot, Maya. Thanks a lot for having us. been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.